we're going to hear our reading in a moment. But as I've mentioned already, our sermon series beginning this morning is entitled The Church That Turned the World Upside Down. Fascinating topic. Uh, and in order for us to do justice for, of this uh, first episode, I, I'd like you to accompany me uh, back to my, my study, there where I have my books and access to some clips, because I want to show you, to start off with, a clip that paints a picture of the life of Paul. He's our focus uh, as we begin this series. As we look at a church that was born and that within a very short space of time had indeed turned the world upside down. There's much that we can learn. So come with me as we begin our series. During the first century, most people around the Mediterranean Sea lived in densely packed cities, all ruled by the Roman Empire. Each city was a diverse blend of cultures, ethnicities, and religions. And because of this, there were all sorts of temples for offering sacrifices to all sorts of gods, and each person had their own portfolio of gods that they gave their allegiance to. But in every city, you'd also find a minority group who wouldn't worship any gods but their own, the Israelites, also known as the Jews. They claimed that their God was the one true creator and king of the world. Now all these cities were connected by a network of roads built by the Roman Empire, and so it was easy to move around, to do business, and even spread new ideas. Now one person familiar with these roads was the Apostle Paul. He spent the second half of his life traveling from city to city, announcing that Israel's God had appointed a new king over the nations. This king wasn't like anyone who'd come before. Right. Most kings rule with aggression or power, but this new king rules with self-sacrifice and love. His name is Jesus, and Paul is his herald, who's inviting all people to live under this king's rule. The stories of Paul's travels and how people received this message, that's what the third part of Acts is all about. For some time, Paul's home base had been in the city of Antioch. And from there, he and his co-workers went out on three road trips, traveling by land and by sea to strategic cities throughout the empire. In each city, Paul's custom was to go first to the Jewish synagogue where his people gathered. He'd start teaching and showing how the Messianic king promised in the Hebrew scriptures is Jesus of Nazareth. And some believed this news, others didn't, and still others thought this message was so misleading and dangerous, they would incite riots to kick Paul out of town. And so that's when Paul would take to the bustling city marketplace. He would set up shop there to make and sell leather tents to cover his travel expenses. And here, Paul kept sharing the news about the risen King Jesus with anybody who would listen. He was often misunderstood as just promoting a new God. One time he prayed for a sick person, they were healed, and everyone around thought he must be a Greek God that came down to visit them. But Paul insisted there's only one true God and he was his servant. This message often stirred up opposition and more riots, and he got beaten, even thrown in jail. Why such a strong reaction? Well, the worship of the gods held together Roman culture. They believed the gods kept their cities safe, and the temple worship of the gods was a huge part of their economy. Paul wasn't just adding Jesus as a new god to the list. He was saying all other gods are powerless, even a sham. So he's undermining their way of life. Yes, and more than that. When Paul announced Jesus as a new king, he would call him Lord or Son of God, the very titles people used to refer to the emperor of Rome. So Paul's message could easily be heard as a threat against the entire political order. 
why would anyone join this movement? I mean, it sounds dangerous. Well, people were captivated by the story of Jesus and how his love created communities where all people were treated as equals, regardless of ethnicity, gender, or economic status. These people formed new families that would eat together. They lived sacrificially and took care of their poor. They lived like Jesus actually was the king. Right. And so in every city where Paul announced the message about Jesus, people were being transformed by God's spirit to become new kinds of humans. So Paul would stay in that city and teach them the way of Jesus. And then he would leave for a new city. This was a difficult life. Paul had to endure a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Yeah, and he did so because he believed that his own hardships were a reenactment of Jesus' suffering and death for others. He said it was God's own love that drove him to share the story of Jesus no matter the cost. After his... I believe that clip uh, gives a, a beautiful broad view of the kind of world in which the, the apostles, Paul and the others, preached the good news in that first century of the, of the church. Uh, this morning, I want to hone in the first week of the series on the little incident which uh, gives rise to the, uh, to the sermon, to the, to the title of, of the series. They turned the world upside down, and now they are here. It's a, an, inc an incident that takes place in the city of Thessalonica, and Paul, along with his companion Silas, is preaching the good news and there are those who are opposed, and so they uh, make trouble for Paul. Uh, I want to introduce you to someone to read the, the, the passage from Acts chapter 17. Uh, he's an old friend of Paul and I. Uh, in fact, he was the Dean of Studies at the college uh, that we attended in the UK, St. John's College in Nottingham. And he's uh, put together a kind of a tour of uh, some of the ancient sites of the old churches in Asia Minor. So I want to, uh, his name is Dr. Ian Paul, and I'm going to ask Ian to read the gospel, uh, not the gospel, rather the, the, the reading from Acts chapter 17 for us, and to give a little uh, explanation as he reads from the center of Thessalonica. With the West, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise again. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, the Politarchs, shouting, these men who've caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. I'm standing next to the marketplace here in the middle of Thessalonica, actually in the middle of the modern city. The marketplace in Greek was the Agora, in Latin, the Forum. Most of the buildings we actually see here 
uh, date only go back to the second century when the Romans rebuilt the Forum on the ruins of an earlier Greek marketplace, probably destroyed by an earthquake. This was the place where the Jews who are opposed to Paul's message uh, got a crowd, a mob, and had a riot. Uh, they gathered the people from the marketplace, and then they took them to the area just over my shoulder, the Bulutarion, those curved seats, which is the place where the politarchs, the city officials, would have met to make decisions. This is the place where Jason was taken and where he was accused of uh, colluding with Paul and Silas in this new movement which was upsetting the whole world by proclaiming another king instead of Caesar, this King Jesus. In fact, the Bulutarion was later adapted and became an Odeon, a small theatre, and extended. But further to the right, you can actually see some bathhouse complex area, which was actually dates back to the first century. So this is an area that Paul would have known from his visits to Thessalonica. The incident uh, that is uh, the focus today, it takes place in what is known as Macedonia. Uh, it uh, follows Paul having been in Macedonia only for perhaps uh, a matter of weeks. If you remember, he, on his journey, had been in Troas and had intended to continue in what, was, uh, what we know as, as uh, modern-day Turkey. But he declares that the Spirit has stopped him, has prevented him from going on. And he has this dream of the man of Macedonia. And so it is that he journeys across the Aegean and uh, finds himself first in Philippi and then Thessalonica. And of course, the key for, for us, the significance for us as modern day readers, I guess, is that this was the first time that, that the apostles had journeyed into Europe. And it's amazing that this incident in which these uh, uh, Jews in the synagogue who were upset and disturbed by, by Paul uh, they identify that Paul is, uh, and his companions are, are those who have turned the world upside down. It's an amazing testament, really, uh, as to the effectiveness of Paul and, the, and the, other, the other companions. That in such a short space of time, in uh, their feet barely onto the continent of Europe, and already the rumors their reputation has preceded them. Here are the ones who are turning the world upside down. I guess the question, the first question that, that I want to kind of wrestle with in my own mind is, was it true? Was it true that they did turn the world upside down? We might take that for granted, but these words come from disgruntled Jews who were looking for any way in which to undermine these, as they saw them, troublemakers. It's interesting that uh, the accusation that they make against Paul and Silas is that they are declaring another king, that uh, uh, they are, in other words, undermining the whole social setup of the, the Roman world at that time, that uh, Caesar was king. And here are these Christians coming along declaring that there is another king, a one and only king. It's the same accusation that is made by Jesus' own accusers, if you remember, before Pilate. They too declared that here was Jesus, the troublemaker, who was uh, uh, kind of undermining the power of Caesar. So the question is, were they, were they right? Were they right in declaring that Paul and his companions were turning the world upside down? 
I think that there is no doubt whatsoever that Jesus has turned the world upside down. I don't know about Paul, I don't know about the church, but certainly Jesus has. And I think to the extent that Paul and his companions and the church throughout the ages have been true to the message of Jesus, then absolutely the world has been turned upside down by the church. And again, if you are any doubt as to the upside down nature of the kingdom and of the message of Jesus, then let me quote to you from, uh, from, the, from the Sermon on the Mount that I spoke about last week, from Matthew chapter 5. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus' teaching was incredibly challenging, counterintuitive, upside down, completely contrary to what the people of the day, how they lived. And dare I say it, completely contrary to the way that most of us continue to live our lives uh, in this day and age. But it wasn't just his teaching that called us to this upside down kingdom, but it was his very, his very death and resurrection. I read to you from, from 1 Corinthians as Paul speaks of the, of the crucifixion. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For Paul, preaching Jesus and him crucified was the centerpiece of the message that he shared. It was that that he was wrestling with of the people of Thessalonica convincing them, persuading them by, through Scripture that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that he was not just the Messiah, but that he was the Son of God. And so not only was Jesus' teaching counterintuitive, but his very life and death and resurrection was challenging to the mind of that day, and indeed again to our own day. And Jesus challenges his followers uh, to live out this life. It's not just about Jesus, but it's about we too who follow and call ourselves his disciples. As Paul writes in the, in the New Testament, he declares things like this, uh, incredibly challenging. Christians who live upside down lives will say things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Or we rejoice in our sufferings, says Paul in Romans chapter 5. The Christian actually loves his enemies. The Christian actually offers the other cheek, offers his tunic. This is the tough upside down kingdom to which we are called. And so how does Paul then go about declaring this uh, upside-down kingdom? Is he successful in turning the world upside down? 
Well, I believe that Paul was, was indeed successful. And this uh, incident in Thessalonica is a prime example of the way in which he honestly declared who Jesus was and his upside-down kingdom. And so Paul was true to his call. He preached Christ and him crucified. He was willing to pay the price for, uh, for, the, for the message and for the call that he was obedient to. He exercised the power of the Holy Spirit as he, uh, as he spoke and as he witnessed both in word and in deed. He prayed. He was a person of prayer. But maybe most important of all, Paul did what he did because of the overflowing love that he felt from Christ. And so Paul was true to the call that he had received, the call to be a witness to the upside-down kingdom. In this series, as we continue, uh, we're going to be looking at another, uh, a number of other uh, prominent leaders of the time. We're going to be looking at people like Peter, we're going to look at people like Luke and Barnabas and Timothy. And in each of the instances that we, that we look at, we'll be asking the same question. How did that person help to bring about this turning of the world upside down? What was it that they did? What kind of values did they share? But underlying the question of how did they turn the world upside down, we have to come back to our own context. Do people look at the church of today and go, wow, they are turning the world upside down? I fear that not nearly often enough is that said of us and the church. I believe that we have the most uh, incredible opportunity right now that as the world is in turmoil, I believe that there are many people who are listening and watching and wanting, to, wanting the church to play a more prominent role. There are people who are thirsty and who are hungry, not just for material things, but are hungry and thirsty for the things of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And who will tell them? Who will share if not us? And so we have an opportunity, and I believe that God is equipping and empowering the church for a moment such as this. I believe that his spirit is being poured out afresh upon us. And so as we look at the New Testament church, and as we again look at these great heroes of the faith, as we have done with Paul today, our question needs to be, what do we learn from them? What do we learn that we can apply in the here and the now? You see, I don't believe that the world now is very different from the world of the first century. There is much that we can learn now if we are willing to learn the lessons. At the heart of it is, are we prepared to live out our understanding of the upside-down kingdom, as were those great heroes, as was Paul? Are we prepared to take seriously the truth of the kingdom that Jesus shared? Are we prepared to preach Jesus in season and out? Are we prepared to preach and share the word of Jesus crucified that is foolishness to some, that is illogical to others, offensive even to, to some within our community? Are we prepared to pray to pay the price that goes with stepping out and speaking the truth? Are we willing to use not the things that we possess 
within ourselves, our skills and natural ability, are we prepared to be vessels that can be used, channels for the Holy Spirit? Are we prepared to be people who are people of prayer? And most importantly, people who love, who love the world, who love Jesus, but love the world that Jesus loves. And so we're going to explore. We're going to be challenged. And I hope that we're going to learn. And I hope that by the end of the series, we are going to be finding ways in which we can step out in faith. That this would be something that would be not just an intellectual pursuit, another interesting tick in the box, but it is a, a teaching that will challenge us to go out, to put into action what we believe. And indeed, for us, in this day and this age, to be partners with Jesus as we turn the world upside down, as we right this world, as we turn the world the right way up, the way that God always intended it to be. Amen.